M-E-T-H-O-D, man. M-E-T-H-O-D, man. No, my guest is not Method Man of Wu-Tang. It's Elsifi Taylor, the financial advisor and creator of The Taylor Method. Learn why he shares his success with others in his industry and why he might be the next candidate for Sharknado 5. That's even possible with his There Is No Spoon philosophy. With Trent the Jet, they like agents on top of pavements, peppermint patty fragrance. Taking the credits when they spits and spritz a chip and dip a dip and dell I pin the tail. Death throw the penalty ID, throwing identity theft crime in the night. Pick pop keys the lock, stop drop roll the dice, double double dough eat the rock roll. Rochambeau tic tac toe crossing a roll with the nice flow with my industry. You see me room room play Monopoly with my commodities. Stop the eyes and cross the teeth teeth. How do you do, Venters? My chief purpose of this podcast is to have meaningful conversations with significant individuals whom I have connected with along the way. As my daughter says in the intro, we will dot all the I's and cross all the T's to prove that questions are the answers while finding out what these significant people ultimately vent about. All right, Venters. So today I am with my good friend and client, LCP Taylor. Of, um, he's the president of Taylor Insurance and Financial Services. And so we're in his office. And thank you, LCP, for letting me come by and let you be a guest on Vent with Trent the Gent. Yeah, thank you for having me. Good. So I always like to go back a little bit and, and to take the audience back to let them know a little bit about how you were but this time we're going to do a little bit differently so in your parents perspective what would they say about you um are you the person who they thought you would be um now um as you know before when you were a kid and would they say that definitely he's doing these great things that we always knew he would do um yeah what would they say about yeah um I think to put it in perspective, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story, right? So uh, my brother and I have a younger brother. Uh, we're about two years apart. And uh, I'm eight years old at the time. My brother's six. And uh, my dad had gone out. Uh, he worked nights at the time. He, was, he left for the night. And my brother and I just trash our room, right? Just we make a four toys all over the place. And lo and behold, my dad got called home early from work. And he comes home and just sees just our room just destroyed, right? So he's livid. He comes in and, and we used to have these big treasure trunks where we put all of our toys and, and stuff like that in our blocks. And so he pulls out the treasure trunk. He's like, put all your toys away. So we're putting all the toys away. And then there he's like, clean all this up. Put this away. Put this away. So we're putting it all away. Clean up the room. Tidy the room. And he, he, he padlocks the trunk and says, playtime is over. Now, he didn't mean playtime was over that night. He meant playtime was over. Like, forever <laughs> and he literally looks at my brother and I and goes in disgust right like this is how you're gonna live your life 
Mind you again, I'm eight and my brother is six, right? But then to put it in perspective, my father is a Ghanaian man, right? So from Ghana, West Africa, went to British boarding schools, right? Double PhD, scholarly guy, right? And so the whole premise of, of, of fooling around and all that was foreign to him. So he literally is like, this is how you're gonna live your life. Playtime is over, get right. And so it's funny because I was raised to be the best or among the best. And even at that young age, I recollect stories like that. And so I, I would say if, if you look at me today and say, what would my parents say about me? They would say, I'm the fulfillment of the expectation today, right? Now, the crazy thing is if you ask me with everything that I've accomplished professionally to this point, um, you know, in regards, I'm, I'm one of the top producers in, in the financial services industry. You know, last year I got named top four financial advisors in the country under the age of 40. But if you ask me on a scale one to 10, rank myself, one being a bum and 10 being a superstar, where I would list myself in, in terms of what, I've, of what I've accomplished at this point, I'd probably give myself a three or a four. Because that expectation has been set so high, because I expect so much of my, myself, I feel like I've just scratched the surface of what I'm, capable of you know and so um now i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing i, I re reference it as i call it the sickness right that i have this insatiable desire to succeed and do better but i would definitely say my parents would be i guess they would be proud of what i've accomplished to this this point but 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 they would even tell me don't rest on it right like keep keep you know keep pushing do more it's interesting because i was going to ask you what do you obsess over so it seems like getting to that 10, how, how do you plan to get from a three to a 10? Yeah, I mean, I think I think a uh, few things. As I've gotten older at this ripe old age of 38 now, <laughs> um, I, I realize, and you hear people say it, it's, it is definitely about the journey. It's not about the money, you know, knock on wood, I've been, I've been blessed and I'm, I'm able to take care of my family, so that's not it. For me, for, for, for about a better part of a year, I used to wear this amulet on my, on my wrist, it broke the other day, but it engraved in it was impact. And that's what it's about for me, because when you think about it, how much money do you really need to live? I think there's this happiness quotient, some study that was done, I don't recall the exact figure, but it was something like 70 some odd thousand, maybe 78 thousand dollars. Once you make 70 some odd thousand dollars a year, you're no happier if you make 100 grand or 500,000 or $5 million than anyone else. Because at a certain level, you have a roof over your head, you have transportation, and you can eat. Right? You can meet those fundamental human needs. And once you can do that, money doesn't make you happiness, happier. Right? Now they say money can't buy you happiness. I say, well, it can get you everything else. Right? But at the end of the day, I've transformed. So it's not about the money. It, truthfully, at one point, it was about the recognition. It was about the money. Today, it's about impact. And, and what I love about what I'm doing now and why I won't take my foot off the gas is that as I grow my business, as I uh, help clients, as I coach others, and they're able to grow and, and build successful businesses. Look at the reverberation of that, right? Look at the people who are gonna reap the benefits of the financial planning work that they do or, or, the, or the encouragement or the, or the coaching that they give them that I never even actually met, right? So it's this domino effect, right? That I, I teach 10, those 10 teach 10, and that becomes 100, and they teach 10, and it becomes 1,000. And next thing you know, I've had this monumental impact on the world, right? 
and, and from large part for people that I've, I've never met or, or, or physically touched myself. And so that's what really drives me today, you know? And so, as you know, I don't do anything a little bit. If, I, if, I, if I'm gonna play basketball, I gotta be the best basketball player. If I'm gonna do yoga, as you know, I do a lot of yoga around, I'm gonna be the best yogi. And, 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 and I guess that's even foreign with yoga because you're supposed to be Zen, but <laughs> I, I make it competitive. But, but in everything that I do, like I said, my father taught me as a young boy, be the best or among the best. And that really means I'm gonna give maximum effort. The outcome, who knows, right? I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm gonna leave this world with a dollar or a hundred million dollars. I have no idea, right? But I'm gonna bust my tail and I'm gonna do everything in my power to, to, to do business the right way and to have a positive impact in people's lives and how it end up. And then, you know, flip a coin, <laughs> we'll yeah. see. So I wanna get back to the yoga. Yeah. Because if anyone follows you on Instagram, <laughs> they see all these crazy things that you do out there. So yeah. we definitely need to talk about that. But let's go back to family really quick before we get into yoga and business and, and whatever. So you have three young young girls. Yep. How how is their playtime? So we knew how yours and your <laughs> brothers was. How how is their playtime? And 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 since they're girls, is it a little bit different that you're handling them, or is it the the same uh, girl? I, I definitely would say that I'm raising girls different than I am raising boys. Um, it's funny because my running joke always has been I used to pray to God I have girls hanging all over me and he took me literally, right? And gave, me, <laughs> gave, gave me three of them. So tell people be there careful you what you ask for. But I've been blessed with three, three beautiful, young, healthy girls. And, you know, my oldest is nine. I've got twins who are seven now. Um, I'm very much about balance, right? So where my father was very militant and, and, and exact about, you know, about his parenting, you know, for me, I tell him, look, I want you to be the best that you can be. I want you to give maximum effort to something, right? Whether it be sports, whether it be art, whether it be music, whether it be drama, whether it be school, I don't care what it is, you can decide. But when you do something, do it 100%. So that message definitely comes from me. Um, it's funny, because this last weekend, um, I got everybody brand new bikes several months ago and they like to ride on the weekends and so they wanted to ride to breakfast, which is probably not too far, but it was a good, good mile and a half away from our house, but a mile and a half pretty much uphill, oh. right? So not three, four months into the ride, my, uh, blocks rather into the ride, my, uh, one of my twins starts complaining that her legs are hurting, right? And I say, hey, you gotta suck it up, we gotta go. Long and the short of it, when we're about two blocks away, I mean, two of the three are literally in tears, like this hurts so bad. And I'm, I'm, I'm maybe a more drill sergeant way, like pressing them, like, let's go, press forward, press forward, press forward. And ultimately when we get there and they're aghast and they're sitting down and tears rolling down their eyes and I'm looking at them in the face and I'm like, you did it, right? It was painful. And in the, even in the, in the beginning of the journey, you didn't think you can, do, you can do it, right? Halfway through the journey, you didn't think you can do it. A block away, you still didn't think you can do it, but you got here, right? And you know, here's the cool thing. Now that you put in that work, we get to enjoy breakfast and guess what? The way home is downhill. Right, and I thought that was just a beautiful metaphor for life because you put in the work, right? It's tough, it stinks, right? Anything worth having in life, right, is, is, is gonna be difficult, right? It's not gonna come easy, but if you put in the work and you can endure and you can persevere, right? I'm trying to teach them that whatever the mind thinks, the body will respond, right? Because the mind is actually what gives up. It's not our body, the body is so powerful, the body's amazing, right? But it's the mind that gives up, it's the mind that says this hurts, this is tough, 
I can't hold this any longer. Let's stop. Let's sit down. But if you can train your mind to press and press and press, the body will, will respond. You know, so I think if I had boys, uh, I probably, you know, I, I don't know that I'd be as, uh, as, as, as yielding as I am in the sense that, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm overly doting of these girls and, uh, and, uh, and but, but at the same time, like, I'm not the dad who's like, oh, I've got girls, these princesses can do whatever they want. I think as, as young women, I'm teaching them to have a strong sense of self. I'm teaching them to have, uh, um, you know, you know self-respect, you know, to be disciplined, to have autonomy, right? To let them know that, that you know, they're, 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 they're beautiful girls physically, right? But I lead always with, you know, their, their intelligence. I lead with their humor. I lead with their energy. I lead with their spirit. You know, the fact that they're beautiful, okay, that's, that's ancillary, right? Because if your beauty fades, then what do you have, right? You have your character. Right, so I'm really impressed that, you know, upon them. More so probably that I'm harder in that respect on them because they're girls than I would if they were they were boys, right? Because a good looking guy, okay, that's one thing, but you know, he's still, you know, as a man, so he has that particular advantage and people are gonna give him respect. A beautiful woman automatically, although she's gonna get a lot of attention, is it always for the right reason, right? So I want them to always have, you know, be able to speak well, hold their head high. Um, and 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 that and that's probably something that I'm more conscious of because they're girls than I would be if they were boys. Yeah. Let's talk about the yoga a, a, a little bit. What genre of yoga do you do? Is it acro yoga? Is it shadow <laughs> yoga? Well, what, I've kind of made up my own thing. I think at this point, initially <laughs> I started I started with Bikram yoga. Um, I played sports, traditional sports, you know, football, basketball, baseball my whole life and uh, played basketball in college and, and kept playing through my, my 20s and early 30s. And, you know, it's a rough sport. I mean, I wrecked my body and it got to the point where you know, I had a friend of mine, you need to try yoga, you know, stretch and I, you know, I'm invincible. I'm OK until the point, you know, I always say father time is undefeated. Right. Well, father time won with me and he said, OK, it's time for you to stop <laughs> playing basketball and and. Uh, so I started doing yoga and the very first time I did it, I did Bikram yoga and you're doing it in this heated room and it was like 105 degrees or whatever it was. But I came out of there and I felt great. I mean, I felt amazing, right? I was like, wow, because when are you ever gonna stretch for an hour, right, in that heat so your muscles are loose and whatnot. So the challenge is with that particular flow of yoga, the Bikram, I felt better, but I didn't like it. Like I hated going to class. I was going three times a week. I was still playing basketball at the time just to stay stay loose, but I didn't like it. And so I was introduced to a different form of yoga, core power yoga, which I liked because there's a variety of classes. It's not like the same class every day. And there's uh, different teachers. Um, so even the same um, type of class, which I do a lot of what's called vinyasa flow, like a constant movement type. Um, but even two teachers, vinyasa flow classes can be completely different. So I like that variety and not the, you know, like that monotony of, okay, there's the same 26 poses every day in, in the same fashion. So I like that. So I mix that um, with kind of like a cross training type you know, deal strength training stuff. Because again, I'm an athlete still at heart, you know, the Zen, you know, crossing my legs and sitting in butterfly position for 20 minutes. That's not me. Yeah, I gotta move, I gotta sweat, you know, and that. And so I like that hot yoga, but with the vinyasa flow and moving and, and stuff. And so my practice has like evolved um, tremendously in the last, you know, couple of years since I've done it. In my studio a couple months ago, they did this challenge to do, uh, to do, uh, 
20 classes in 30 days. It was a 20 and 30 challenge, right? Who can do 20 classes in 30 days? And I did 20 classes in 10 days, right? And then I ended up doing 50 classes, 55 classes, I think, in 30 days. So really, so why like did you do it at such a quick clip? Uh, because I was doing two classes a day. Um, I don't do anything a little bit. If I do it, I'm gonna crush it. Um, and so again, even though yoga is not competitive, it was more or less like, like spending two hours a day. And again, you know my schedule. I mean, I'm working 14, 15 hour days every day. There is no day off for me. But that two hours that I literally dedicate, and I've kept that. I've done two classes a day pretty much every day for the better part of a year. Um, but it's that time early in the morning and late at night that that's my time to let go. You know, and I, I had it in basketball. Basketball was the only thing that I ever did that when I was doing it, I didn't think about anything else other than playing. And I didn't even have that initially with yoga. I'd, I'd maybe be 10% present and 90% somewhere else. And at this point, I've pretty much flip-flopped that. Like yoga is now something that when I'm doing it, I'm thinking about the flow and connectivity with my body and the environment and not you know, Mrs. Johnson that I have to call back or, you know, Mr. Smith's rollover that I have to complete, right? It's like it's about that time and, and, and strengthening the body. And then that's even now turned into my diet, right? Like even though I was an athlete, I'd play basketball for three hours, but I'd go to, you know, have a burger and fries and, and some finish it off with some ice cream, right? And so now even the diet, like, you know, trying to be more conscious of, you know, eating healthier meats and vegetables. I mean, I've eaten more vegetables in the last six months than probably the last six years, wow. right? And so just, I wanted to see now, well, what happens if my diet matches my fitness, right? And I'm already at a high fitness level, but what if my, so what my diet matches? So um, as a result, I mean, again, consider I was a high school four sport letterman as a college athlete. I mean, at 38 years old, I'm probably in the best shape of my life right now. Right, and so, um, you know, now it's tough for me because I have a, a, a big sweet tooth, you know, and so I love candy, but, um, so I've kind of gone off the diet a little bit and I've, I've introduced, you know, little, little cheap foods every now and again, but for the most part, it's been, you know, it's been, and you don't really notice it when you're not watching. It's like, I never looked at a, you know, a label to see how many calories were in something or carbs or sugar and even things that I guess you'd consider like, you would consider juice to be better than soda, right? Juice is better than soda. But when you look at the label and see how much sugar and carbs are in, I didn't realize it, Maybe right? Not, so, right? Um, so yeah, so just, just taking care. You know, my dad used to always say, again, it's funny because when your parent tells you something as a kid, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he used to tell me like, you have one body, you gotta take care of it. You know, when you're a kid and you know you sprain your ankle and you're on crutches one day and then you're running the next, you think you're invincible. But again, you realize that it, things do take their toll and you got to protect and take care of your body. What's the oddest thing in your diet? Is there any exotic, odd thing that you might be so interesting? Digesting? Interesting that you would say that. For the most <laughs> part, I'm a pretty, I'm a relatively um, boring or plain vanilla eater, right? I'm a meat and potatoes guy. So this diet really consisted of just really lots of meat, vegetables, and fruits. So I, I eliminated carbs and stuff. Now again, I started you know introducing them again on a lighter level. But um, one of the th reasons that I started doing yoga is because I have major issues with my hip. I have bad arthritis in my hip. And so I'm trying to do everything I can to put off having a replacement and having to do a major surgery. And so the yoga helps a lot, stretching and relief of pain. I'm not big. I don't take you know Advil every day and all that kind of stuff. I really try to stay away from that. And so the other day I was Googling you know, um, homeopathic remedies for hip pain. And so interesting that you're saying that, I'm gonna shake this bottle so you can see it, <laughs> right? So I found shark cartilage. Oh my. Shark cartilage, right? And who would have known that shark cartilage has, uh, 
these, uh, these, these attributes of relieving swelling, right, in the body, right? And there were studies that were done that showed that if you took a certain percentage of, uh, or certain milligrams of shark cartilage every day for a period of time, that it would relieve swelling. So I've been taking this for about uh, a week now, and, and, and I feel a little bit, I don't know if it's a placebo effect or what, yeah. but I do feel a little bit, a little bit better. I mean, I have better days than others, but that's probably the most okay. unique. Well, we'll keep our eye out on that. And <laughs> maybe it might be a, a trend yeah. soon. Um, how, I want to say how easy, but how difficult, because I can't do it, how difficult is, is a handstand? I mean, what, what do you need to, to be able to do one as easily as you do it? Um, you know, the thing is like, uh, I'm a, I like movies, right? Like, I'm a pretty disciplined person. Like, I've never drank in my life. I've never done drugs in my life. I never smoked in my life. Like, again, I'm very regimented. And I'm very disciplined. And uh, so in that respect, like, when I set my mind to something, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's a matter of when. Like, it's going to happen. Um, and and uh, But the one thing that I would say that I, I especially as a younger man, I did in excess, I, lo I love movies. Like, watch movies. And so if you watch a movie with me, I mean, it's probably a bad stereotype with, with that black people talk in movies, but I'm, I'm going to repeat the, all the lines of the movies. There's some movies going on. So my wife is like, shh, be quiet. You know, stop. You know, Don't go in there. Right, stop talking. But um, there's a movie, The Matrix, which I'm sure you're, you've all heard and listeners have heard of. Um, and there's a scene in the movie where Neo is the main character in the movie is at the Oracle's house and the Oracle's the all-knowing kind of guru who understands the inner workings of the matrix and the like and she's basically coaching these little mini gurus if you will and there's a little little boy in her apartment and he's holding a spoon right and so Neo sits next to the boy and they're both looking at the spoon and the boy's staring at the spoon and literally the silver spoon literally just starts to bend like it's just like 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 plastic just starts to bend right and then the, the spoon goes stiff again and neo is like so taken back he's fabricated like what like how did you do that right and the boy's response was is the first thing you have to realize is there is no spoon right like once you realize like anything's possible this world that we live in is make-believe and if the mind thinks you can adapt and change anything you think it's silver it's not look i'm just bending it right like it's water right and that's how i approach everything in my life so literally anything that i'm about to do like i'll sometimes let's say i'm going on stage and there's five thousand people in the crowd and i typically don't get nervous but you know i look in and I'm, i'll utter to myself like there is no spoon right and i'm in there like this is make-believe like it is whatever i want i want it to be right or, or and that even translates into my yoga practice if i'm on instagram or i'm seeing someone do a pose and i see that i'm like there is no spoon, like, let's go, like, I can do that. And so it's a progression, it's not like I just did it overnight, but it's so much engagement, like, like, the handstand in and of itself, again, is like life, and we focus on the wrong things. Like, early on in my career, I focused on money and possession, and it's not, it's about the journey, it's about the process, it's about what money and possession can afford you, about, the, again, the impact and the things you can do in other people's lives. So you would think, oh, a handstand is all about how strong your arms are, my ability to press up, and it's not. The, the, the biggest thing in inversions is your core, it's your center, are you centered? Do you have a strong core, right? And so literally, like, in a handstand, I would say I feel like maybe 50% of my weight is in my hands, in my arms. Really, so I'm pressing through to the floor like I'm gonna press, and you hear this term in yoga a lot, 
root to rise. So I'm literally rooting my hands down to the ground, rooting my core, right? Sucking in my core. And that is where the, the rise, so my legs literally float up like they weigh two pounds. So once you get to that phenomenon, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, and so if I were to show you some inversions I do, literally my legs feel like weightless. Weightless, yeah, yeah. That's, that's remarkable. Let's go back to something you said about you've never taken a drink, no drugs. Yeah. Growing up, I'm sure you were in some elements and some situations <laughs> where there were some drinks and drugs in the room. How, how did you combat that? How, how were you able to, to get through those times yeah. unscathed? You so know, what, it's, it's interesting. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? When you look back at things, you can say, oh, I made the right decision or oh, I shouldn't have never done that or oops, I made a major goof. And I think one thing that happens as you get older is you realize, especially as it relates to your parents, and you look at your parents, you're like, they didn't have a clue, right? Like, they didn't really know, they were winging it, right? Like, I think my mom and dad are winging it. And so when I look at like not doing drugs or not drinking, I don't even really remember my parents telling me, don't do drugs, they're horrible, it's gonna ruin your life. And again, it's not like I, like my mom will drink occasionally, my dad will drink, my brother drinks. So it's not like I grew up in this household like where my father was an alcoholic and I saw what it did to our family and I was like, I'm never gonna touch it. I was around it and then casually, yeah, you know, I'm 16 years old, 17 years old at parties and friends' houses drinking and there's a few reasons why I haven't indulged in those things. Uh, number one is I don't need any liquid courage. I don't need any false, like the, the crazy thing is like, I don't know what it's like not to be in this very consciousness that I'm in right now. To not to be this witty, not to be this sharp, not to be this aware. I don't know what it's like and I don't know that I'd not want to be like that, right? I mean, I remember being around people that drink so much or they black out and the next day we're all goofing off and talking about the night and it's funny when you did this or said this and I'm like, really? And that would drive me nuts, right? Like if I lose my keys, I need to know like, okay, I got out of my car, I went to the kitchen, then I went to the restaurant. Oh, yeah, I left him here, right? Like order, things have to make, need to be, have order for me. Um, that's, that's, you know, that's super important. But funny story, I was at my buddy's house. I remember being 16 years old. And again, remember, like I was around, I was around weed. I was around drinking. I was, I mean, and again, being an athlete and bound, I was around these parties and my buddies having beers and they're like, hey, you want to drink? And I was like, no, I'm good. And they're like, here, just take a sip. I'm like, I'm good. And like, here, I take a sip. I'm like, no, I'm good. Take a sip, I'll give you 20 bucks. <laughs> no, I'm good. Take a sip, I'll give you a hundred bucks. Now, a hundred bucks when you're at 16, right back, that was, a, that was a big deal. And I said, no. And they're like, oh, you'll drink one day. And I'm like, oh, okay, we'll see. Right now at 38, like, yeah, I'm still, still waiting, right? And, and so, not that I didn't drink because of that, but it's like, again, when I set my mind to something, I'm not, I'm not getting off of it. Now, will I ever drink? I don't know. I have no problems with it. I'm not opposed to it. A lot of times I don't even tell people I don't because I don't like people to act differently around me like they think I have a problem with it or something because I don't. My wife loves it because she can drink away and she always has a designated driver, right? She has her own personal Uber, mm -hmm. right? So, or you. Um, yeah, so, but yeah, it, it's, just, uh, it's just a personal personal choice, you know, to each, to each his own, but that's just, yeah, just me. I would imagine that you couldn't have your mindset and think the way that you do without being someone who writes down their goals. Um, how often do you write down your goals? How often do you review them? And um, tell me a little bit about your goal writing process. Uh, so it's interesting, right? Like some people are the type where they're like, hey, let's measure twice so we only have to cut once. Mm -hmm. I tend to kind of eyeball it and say, yeah, it looks good. 
Um, I'm probably not the best example of someone who's like, you know, writes something down and then sticks to this plan and like, no two days for me are the same. No two days are identical. The one thing when I wake up in the morning, I promised myself when I graduated college, I said, I never want to look back at a day in my life and say, what if? Never. So, and then the crazy thing about this life is like, if you think about it, if I make a left-hand turn versus a right-hand turn, the very course of my life can change just because I made a left or a right. Very true. So I live, and it might sound bad, but I live by the seat of my pants. And the only thing I control, the only thing that I am conscious of, very conscious of doing, is giving 100% effort to whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, now again, on a macro level, it's like truthfully the only goal I ever wrote down when I graduated college, I was 22 years old, I said I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 25. That I wrote down and I was dead serious. You said, you sure? Yes. 100% convicted. Yes. How are you going to do it? <laughs> Good question. I don't know. But that's the one thing. And then, because at the time, what, beyond 25 was just unfathomable to me. What is that? That's old, right? Well, I got there, right? And then what? And then the, I've just looked at this life has changed and evolved. So rather than making these like concrete, you know, assertions like I'm going to do this or I'm going to accomplish this. No, God doesn't have... God might have a different plan. You don't know what it is. So, so I'm just gonna do and be the best man I can today, and then tomorrow will take care of itself, right? And so I've got these macro things, like I wanna grow my business to a certain level, and these are kind of revenue benchmarks and things that I have and, and the like, um, and, and I tend to set my goals really high. I always say if you, if you aim for the moon and you fall short, you'll still hit the stars, right? You're still gonna get up there yes. pretty good. Um, but in terms of, writing them and holding them, as you can probably see in the time you've known me, like I don't need anything to motivate me. I don't need a kick in the pants. I don't need someone to say, come on, remember you said this, like anything. And I guess probably goes back to what you asked me about my parents. There is nothing that anyone expects of me that I don't expect threefold of myself. Yeah. So you wanted to be a millionaire by 25. So you knew that. So you had the, the time sure. allotted to, to that goal. And Jack Canfield says that you can't think of a goal that you don't have the capacity to achieve. Right. So even just you thinking of that goal, yeah, you didn't know how you were gonna do it, but you had the capacity to, to do it because you even had that thought. So let's talk a little bit about Taylor Method and how you're helping other individuals out there in the insurance world and financial services. Do you ever think about, or maybe this is a goal, going past that and just being a success coach? Because obviously um, all the things that you share with us today is doing with success and the principles. So do you ever have a plan to take it a little bit further? Sure, I mean, uh, the Taylor Method, I created initially as a kind of practice management tool and, and sales training systems in the financial services arena. But to your point, the principles and the methodologies permeate across a, a variety of industries. In my opinion, sales is sales. Like I could go into any industry and I'd be a top salesman in any industry because I understand the principles of sales, which are quite simply build relationships with people, identify their needs and solve their problems. 
it doesn't matter what you're selling. If you do those things, you'll be success successful in that field. Whereas many people go, oh, well, what's your product or what's your service or what? It doesn't really matter. If people don't know, like, and trust you, they're not doing business with you. So once you can establish that relationship and trust, and then I can identify what irks you, what's that thorn in your side, what's that rock in your shoe, and I can alleviate that, right? Then, you know, then the sale is a foregone conclusion. It's not a matter of if you're gonna buy, it's a matter of how much and when. And so, yeah, I mean, I could create future iterations of the Taylor Method to go into different fields, you know, talking about just doing motivational speaking and coaching in general could go, but I felt like it'd be best to start in this particular arena where I have all the success and accolades where no one can say to me, like, it doesn't work because I have all the trophies and plaques and certificates and recognitions and magazine articles to say that it does, yeah. right? And, and so I've achieved more professionally in my career at by the t age of 38 than others have achieved in a lifetime, right? And then the, the cool thing about it is I feel like, again, I'm really just, I'm just getting started. I'm just scratching the surface. So to go deeper into that, the um, creator of Paul Mitchell, John Paul DiGiora, he said his definition of success is success unshared is failure. So why did you decide to share your success, your, your, your secret, so to speak, with, and in effect, I guess they could have been your competitors. So you're, you're actually training your competitors yeah. to be as great as you. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, couple things. Um, but you're, you're sharing it. I am means, sharing yeah. it. Yeah. Well, here's and, the thing. Which is a, One, a success. It's not quite philanthropic because I do charge a fee, right? So, so people are paying a fee. But, but here's the thing, right? Look at my industry. 66% of people who come into my business don't make it past six months. 88% of people in my business don't make it past three years. The median income in my industry is $48,000 a year. So while, oh, financial advisor, lucrative position, make people make all this money, the reality is is the top 1% of us make 90% of the money, right? So for me, I was constantly getting asked the same questions over and over and over again, asked for the same insights. And so really I made it initially to save my own time, right? Rather than having to answer the same questions over, I'm just gonna write a book. I'm just gonna put it down on paper. And that's the Taylor Method really started as an ebook. Right, I'm gonna put it online and people can read it and get answers to my questions. And then it, it morphed into videos and audio series and webinars and experts and all these things as, as it is today and, and, and international speaking engagements. And so it's changed over, over the years. But um, Jay, uh, uh, um, Jay Paul Getty is the first recorded billionaire in United States history, came up with the wealth building principle. Stated simply, I'd rather earn 1% effort from 100 people than 100% of my own. Mm -hmm. So while at the beginning of my career, I made so much about being number one, I made so much about making a million dollars. Today, I'm not driven by that. Today, you can call me the janitor for all I care, right? I'm okay taking a little bit of a lot. So if I can train, think about it. How many advisors, take it, take it back, how many clients can I see in a given day? Right? If I bust my tail and I'm running all around LA, I'm running all around the country, at best maybe I can see five, six people in a day. Now even if I say I don't need any time with my family, I don't need any personal time, I'm gonna work seven days a week, okay? I say that all to say the amount of people I can see and the amount of money that I can make is finite, Yes. right? Even if I kill myself, it's finite. And trust me, I've tried, right? Whereas if I can take an advisor or two, or 10, or 100, or 1,000, or 10,000, and teach them the same principles that have made me successful. I can affect change in literally hundreds of thousands of people's lives, 
right? I can affect change in millions of people's lives that me as one man would have never met. And that's the biggest thing for me in the Taylor Method is this, this, this exponential, again, effect uh, and, uh, and impact of, of my teachings in the work that I do. And so the money, the money will come. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried in competition. If someone buys a policy or invests money with someone else because they use my language, thank you. Yes. <laughs> so you can teach the language. You can teach the content. But if anyone's seen you on stage, they know that you have a, a lot of stage presence and your personality is obviously showing today. That particular period of time. Yeah. Um, on every episode of Vent with Trent the Gent, I always give, um, thus far it's always been a book. So I, I got you a book, Leader as Coach. And probably not a good idea to give somebody a book who's written a book, but, <laughs> but I'm gonna read you a passage from here okay. and then um, I'm gonna ask you a question. So why coaching and development? The difference between transformation by accident and transformation by a system is like the difference between lightning and a lamp. Both give illumination, but one is dangerous and unreliable, while the other is relatively safe and directed. So with that said, who is your coach? Who has coached you throughout the years? Um, probably one of the most influential people in my life as a, as a younger man was uh, <clears throat> my coach, uh, my basketball coach, actually coached me in all sports as a kid, uh, Coach Starr. And uh, I guess he would consider me like a son to him. Um, he was hard on me um, and, and expected a lot of me. But the thing I remember about him, not only me, but all the, the kids that, that um, played with him was that he expected the most of us, but he, he, had us, he had us believing like we could walk on water. He instilled such a great level of confidence because we were prepared. We did nothing but skill set. Even that's what led me to literally the, the nonprofit that I established and the training that I do with kids today is predicated on the training and the tutelage and the coaching I got as a child. And so that I give back you know, to the kids, but um, he's probably the most influential person. Um, as, a, as I became a young man and, and, uh, and uh, um, you know, really I look at my parents, you know, my dad's a super hardworking guy. I look at that. My dad always did everything he said he would do. I look at that. Your yes is yes, your no is no. My mom's the life of the party and the, and the host and the, and, the, and, the, and the giver. And so I've taken those traits. And so that's kind of, you know, what I use into early adulthood. And then unfortunately, when I started my career, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have someone around me that that I aspired to be. Um, unfortunately, in, in my previous company, I mean, I was the number one broker, 13,000 agents, 13,000 agents. I was the number one broker in LA when I was 27 years old. So at that point, everyone's looking at me like, mentor me, help me, and I'm looking like, I don't even know what I'm doing, I'm still a kid, right? But because I, I just simply outworked the competition and I worked through failures that I got to that point. Today, it's interesting because today, I'm seeking to be the least accomplished person in the room. There was a period of time a few years ago where I was like, I'm the best, I did it, I'm number one. Today, I wanna be, if there's 100 people in the room, I would love to be ranked 100, right? I wanna, I wanna be around people that look at me and go, oh, you did $2 million in revenue last year, that's so cute that you did that, like that's so funny, I remember those days. Why, because, because I can learn from them and I can grow from them and so 
I got referred to a billionaire guy several months ago and literally I talk to this guy probably every week now because at the onset when I met him, I was like, we're gonna be best friends. And I'm like, there's only one or two outcomes that are gonna come from this engagement, this relationship that we have. We're gonna do business together or you're gonna tell me never call you ever again. Like those are the only, like those are the only two acceptable outcomes to me. Is that the initial conversation or I, somewhere? I literally had that in our first conversation. Now granted, it was probably like a half hour, 45 minutes yes. into our banter. But, um, but that was it and I truly felt like that because I wanna grow from that right now. So like I said, um, um, there's no ego right now. There's no, uh, I have to be the man right now. It's really just about learning and getting better and sharpening my saw. And as many people look at me, like I wanna be like a Sylphie Taylor. It's not even that I wanna be like anyone else. I'm an individual. I don't wanna be like anybody else. I wanna be me, I wanna be, but I wanna be the best me. And if I can learn from someone else's mistakes or I can have a door open for me or an introduction made by someone else, I'll take it. So you mentioned Coach Star, yep. isn't it, right? Yep. So let's stick with basketball a little bit here. Um, today is 8-24, August the 24th, which is declared Kobe Bryant Day. Did, <laughs> did you know that? <laughs> I did see something like that, yeah. <laughs> So, and two days ago, he was on the New York Stock Exchange. He, he rang the bell, opening bell, um, with his venture capital company being a, a partner in that. Are athletes, are they wired, or are, I should say great athletes, because not every athlete transitions in, into business like that. Are, are they wired that way, that they are just, everything is transferable into other areas? Uh, and so being a, a great athlete yourself, is it something that you guys all have in, in common, or what's, what's the thread there? I think the attributes are there, I think it's in common. I think the hardest part, and not that I am not Kobe Bryant and I never played at that <laughs> at that level, but I can appreciate his story and I and I get it. Like even today, right now, like I will never tell you right now that someone could beat me at anything, ever. You'll never hear me say, oh, this person can beat me. And if you were competing with me, I'm gonna give you hell. Like to this day, even though I'm working with one leg, and, 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 and soreness and whatever else, like I'm gonna give you hell. And, but my mind is strong, right? My mind thinks I could still you know, dunk the ball. My mind thinks I could still stop anybody. My mind thinks that way. And I think the challenge with athletes, and again, it's not even that, I think it's about the story. For example, I'm 5'8". I'm not a big guy. I was always told you're too small, you can't make it. So even playing in high school, to playing in college, to playing in leagues and, and, and winning MVP and scoring titles and all these things that I did, I was always fighting against the odds, right? So even though I achieved a pretty high level of, of in the athletic arena, when that transitioned to business, I was always, I wasn't, I wasn't afraid of going again. You're a young black man in business world, this is gonna be tough for you. It was no different for me. Like, yeah, just like I can't play basketball, right? I'll show you. I think the challenge for some athletes would be the guy that was 6'5 in the eighth grade who was touted to play in college, touted to be a one and done and go to the NBA, who his whole life everything's been handed to him and he had the physical gifts and he had the things and then one day you can't jump 40 inches anymore. Your knees don't work like that anymore. Your ankles won't support you anymore. Now go to the real world. I think the challenge for that person is like, wait a minute, I've always been the man. I don't know what it's like to come from behind. I don't know what it's like to be doubted. 
right? And so I don't think it's just the athlete. I think a lot of it has to do with their story. It's like people think all the time, oh, oh man, how did this athlete, he made 20 million, he made 50, he made 100 million, how did you lose that money? Easy, right? Because he didn't make it in business. Mm. How could an athlete lose 20 million or 50 million, 100 million dollars in business? Real easy, just like the lotto winners, right? Lotto winner wins 20 million, 50 million, what? Three out of four file bankruptcy within three years? No different because you didn't make your money in business because I give you $50 million. Now you're a good businessman. Now you can ascertain, you know, you can look at portfolios, you know, value real estate holdings and, and equity positions. Now you know how to do that because I gave you a check for $50 million. Mm -hmm. Right? You're the same guy you were before. So if you had a lack of education and drive before, now you're a guy with $50 million of that lack of education and, and lack yeah. of drive. Right? And so I think it's not so much saying the athlete as much as what's their story and who's around them. And not again, at a certain level, I don't care how bad you are with money. I mean, you got to try really hard to, to, to blow, you know, $100 million, $200 million, but people will do it. You know, and so I've lost, I mean, I tell people in a second, I've lost millions of dollars in my life. I've failed countless times in my life. The difference between me and someone who is an athlete who relies on their, on their, relies on their athleticism to make money is that at 38 years old, I'm just really hitting my stride. I'm a seven figure income earner and I'm gonna make money until I die, right? If a 35 year old athlete's gone through their contracts and they're now on the verge of retirement, they go, wow, I've made some horrible mistakes. I really should get right. Time is done. Yeah. Because what are you gonna do to generate tens of millions of dollars like that again? So it's it's challenge. So I actually say the athlete, the entertainer, has to be more disciplined than the lay person. Very true. I know your days are, are very busy, very, very full with all types of things, obviously. Yoga twice a day, work, kids, family. Um, the late Jim Valvano, obviously, you, you know him, the, the coach of NC State, um, says that a complete day is when you laugh, which we've done today, think, and obviously you made us all do that today, and cried. We didn't do that one. So when, when was the last time you <laughs> cried and, and, and why? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I tend to hold a lot in. I tend to have broad shoulders. Probably the last time I cried, uh, for sure when my grandmother passed away, and that was probably about was probably about four years ago. Um, I didn't get a chance to see her before she passed. She went fast, had a stroke, and then passed away in a couple of weeks. And the hardest part about losing her is I've never met anyone in my life who was so positive, right? I never heard her raise her voice. I never heard her utter one ill word about anyone everything she was blessed you know such a blessed lady and gave that on onto people and uh and uh and that and i, and I think just kind of being more personal i think more recently actually than that um just just literally with my wife and and uh you know just feeling like you know what i appreciate the sacrifice that she has to make because she's just a bigger part of my success not because she's here closing deals and things but because you know, I, I feel blessed to have someone that can take care of my, my girls and know that they're safe and getting the best, you know, when I'm not around, you know, and, and unfortunately for me, you know, I, I, I try to please everybody and I'm trying to be everything that everybody and, 
and it's difficult to be the best businessman tycoon and the best yogi and the best father and the best husband and the best coach and the best you know uh, philanthropist and be the best of all of those things and so I'm spread pretty thin you know I try my hardest so so I appreciate I appreciate those that 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 help and put up with me and and, and assist in that in, in 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 that in my dreams and if if I die tomorrow if I die tomorrow you know I I would say literally I, I've upheld that no what ifs right like I swung away yeah. you know I swung away yeah um, every episode we also do a, a little thing called fill in the blank so I'm gonna give you a couple of words and then you're gonna fill in the blank and then I'll probably ask you another question after that and we'll, we'll wrap it up and you'll be able to let people know how to reach you as well. Okay. So don't stop blank. Pushing. Don't stop pushing. You can blank. Do anything. And finally, conversations are blank. Conversations are the, are the insights into who people are, what makes them tick. Yeah. Would you consider yourself an artist? And the word artist in, in the broader sense, being a human being, creating work that makes others feel something meaningful. Uh, would you say that you're an artist? And, and if so, why? And if not, why not? Uh, art in the traditional sense, I'm anything but, you know, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'll give you a nice stick figure if you'd like. Um, uh, you know, I've never considered myself an artist, and even with the, the latter definition that you gave, still not. I, I would say if I had to categorize myself, I'm a facilitator. You know, I've, I've been given the gift of like, I've, I've been given the gift of discernment. And as a, even as a young boy, I remember like hearing people, even if they were in opposition, being able to understand both people's positions and bring them together. And I think that's the one thing that I've been able to do and exude as a leader is to facilitate and to go, okay, you want this, you want this, how can we bring this together and be and be and be reasonable? And so that's that's what I am. Um, I require very little, right? I require very little. I mean, the houses and the cars and the trips and all that, it's cool, it's nice, thank you. But at the end of the day, as long as I have a roof over my head and the ability to take care of my, my girls, I feel like I'm good, and so I feel blessed to be in this position, to have influence, to, to be able to affect um, change in people's lives, and, and, and to see a lot of cool stuff and experience a lot of cool stuff and, and make relationships and build relationships with people that, that I don't know that I would ever do if I wasn't in this business. So I feel, I feel, I feel blessed to be in the position that I'm in. Yeah. I lied, because you said you, you've been to cool places. And so, yeah, you, you travel a lot. Yeah. And I don't know if you watched that, that new show, um, Better Late Than Never, where um, George Foreman, Henry Winkler, and the four of them is going to, to Asia, I guess, for the first time. What's the best thing you've seen in any of your, your travels? The best thing that I've seen. Or oddest, or just something I, that... I would say, up. like, you know, domestically here in the States, I mean, I, I, I travel, I've been to pretty, I'm in New York and Chicago and Dallas and LA and San Francisco and, t I mean, all the major places and then some other places, the North Dakotas and the Mississippis and other places that aren't necessarily, you know, as, as attractive, but... Two trips, I mean, I, I probably would say I'm doing 25, 30 trips a year, so I travel a lot. And the two trips that kind of stick out to me the most that I did just this year would be 
the most recent trip I went to Montana and I was in Bozeman, Montana and this the natural beauty of the environment and we're blessed here in Pasadena we have this San Gabriel mountain range here that we look at but it was different there I mean lush greenery I mean and just right there and just this sense of serenity and, and peace and 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 uh, and uh, genuine you know just just you know hospitality from the people was cool you know so nothing that wasn't that wasn't the big city lights big big you know the big apple and all that it was just the opposite the trip that probably had the most monumental effect in my life was i took a trip i spoke for a million dollar round table and i did a speaking engagement in taipei and it's taiwan and for for mdrt china this year million dollar round table in china and that was cool one because i had very low expectations because i'd said before I'm, I'm pretty particular about the food that i eat so i didn't want any like crazy meals or anything like yeah. that um the food was okay but i had very low expectations but the thing that i i would say that i saw i mean i went to i went to waterfalls i got to experience like these uh the lighting of the lanterns and do that stuff at this in this you know remote village and uh you know, being around, but the biggest thing that I'd say, the biggest perspective that I ha I've had is, and I've traveled to Europe and stuff, but the way that the people there were so in tune globally of what was going on and how the people there knew as much, if not more, about the United States than I did living here, right? And I think it's easy, especially for us in, in, L in, in California and in LA to be so self-absorbed with, well, what's going on here in our world and not take this macro perspective of the larger community, the globe. And so myself and the other speaker uh, was there and he was from Dubai and he's just talking about global issues and issues that he has with clients in the UK and, and this whole Brexit thing and the whole damn thing. And I'm, and I'm sitting there like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm worried about whether I'm going to go to Mastro's or I'm going to go to, mm -hmm. you know, Ruth Chris for dinner here, right? And the global issues are so much greater than that. And that, I think, you know, so it's nothing that I saw per se there as much as the experience that that was uh, cool and very enlightening for me. All right. Thanks. So where could the listeners reach you? What platforms, social platforms, uh, email, whatever you want to Yeah, so again, uh, probably going back to the art thing, technology is probably, again, not my strongest attribute, but you can find us on all the, um, I guess, uh, traditional mediums. Um, we have uh, a website. So uh, my financial planning practice, you can find us at Taylor, that's T-A-Y-L-O-R-I-N-S for insurance, fin.com for financial so that's taylor ins fin.com you can find more about my coaching series and my sales training system at the taylor method.com and that is literally the t-h-e taylor t-a-y-l-o-r method m-e-t-h-o-d.com so the taylor method.com um, you can find me under the monikers of eselfi taylor which is e s z Y L F like Frank I E Taylor Isilfi Taylor on both Facebook and Instagram. Um, you can follow me there, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, Taylor Insurance, Taylor I N S F I N. Uh, you can find on uh, Twitter and um, Facebook as well, and then also my nonprofit Future Stars, Future Stars Camp dot org is the website you can find us on uh facebook instagram and twitter there as well um pretty much i'm the only selfie taylor online so if you google me you'll find uh <laughs> there find, he'll be you'll find me but uh yeah well listeners 
you can see just by uh, all the ways to read Josephi that he's into a lot of things and there's other things that he didn't even mention, restaurants and, and what have yeah. you. But, um, you know, I want to thank you for, for doing this and sharing your stories and your ideals with, with the listeners. And all I have to say to the listeners, just like how you mentioned Taipei was in tune globally, well, I hope that they're just as in tune with you and, and your stories and get to know you better and, and reach out to you. So thanks yeah. for, for your time no, today. Thank you for having me, appreciate it. You don't drink, don't smoke, what do you do? Well, apparently, Asifi gives great interviews. And for that, we are grateful. In order to show our gratitude, please share this episode with your contact sphere. And as always, please write a review on iTunes. Effect change.